This is episode 54 of the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with my man, Thomas Kelly, founder of Mexicu. The stuff that like really sets apart the folks that are successful is the nuts and bolts every day. Yep. And one of the things, you know, I understood early on is not, that was not like my area of interest and, and my strength. And so I was just really fortunate from very, very early on to have a series of really good operators that just, you know, loved that and made the, the restaurant successful every day. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle and Sarah. And look, I have learned everything I've learned in the restaurant business by doing it the hard way. I've learned by making mistakes. I've learned by losing money. I've learned by losing partners. And I'm here to share those experiences with you so you don't have to experience any of that. So whether it's scaling your business, learning how to be more efficient in your day-to-day operations, or just stay in the know with COVID reopening strategies, my goal is to provide as much value as humanly possible, particularly as we get going in this new year, 2021. But before we get started, I wanted to let you know that you can find the full video of each episode on my YouTube channel, along with several other videos featuring restaurant-related tips and insight. Now, let's get into this week's episode. One of the key things I learned in running my own restaurant is that you can't do everything. You think you can do everything, but you can't, right? You could do the payroll, but it's probably not the best use of your time. You know, you you could do the the bookkeeping, but that's probably not also the best use of your time. They're, they're professionals for that. The same goes for your real estate site selection. It is something that should be left to the professionals. And I'm very, very grateful, guys, that my team at Sabre Advisors has offered now to sponsor the show because... I can speak to exactly what we do, and it just, I feel like it's a service that needs to be out into the world. And that's not just because I do it, but because the system and the technology that exists in helping you identify your core customer, whether it be in your local market, your regional market, or in uh, other markets across the country, the technology is mind-blowing, and it makes the process so much more I don't want to say easy, but it makes it so much more clear. It helps you target those areas where your customer is already going, right? Like that's the idea. So why don't you do this? Send me a DM at Kyle and Sarah or text me at 914-996-4569. And we can set up a Zoom call to talk about exactly how it works. There's a lot of detail here. I only got two minutes to read this thing. So it is is worth the 15 minutes just to get on the phone and hear how it works. It is going to be something you can take off your plate so you can focus on doing exactly what it is that you do best, which is running your restaurant. So DM me at Kyle and Sarah on Instagram or text me 914-996-4569 and we can talk about how my team at Sabre can help you identify your next opportunity. All right, guys, we have Thomas Kelly from Mexico joining us on the show today. And Thomas, look, I'm going to try to contain my love, my love for, for Thomas's passion and, and for just the way he operates and carries himself in his, in his, uh, in his personal life and his professional life. I mean, it's a lot to admire there, but before I get into it and kind of pour, pour my guts out for you about Thomas, 
Let's give you a little background on him. He's got a little bit of a unique background, you know, like so many of us in the restaurant business do. He's been working in food and marketing for a long time, everything from fast casuals out in Boulder, Colorado, internet startups in New York City, and restaurants, some great restaurant experience uh, also in New York City at Kraft and Hearth. Um, but, you know, he served as a marketing manager before this whole Mexico thing for a lot of top New York City newspapers. And he earned his MBA at NYU Stern School of Business with a specialization in entrepreneurship, which you'll definitely pick up on in this episode. But it was in the summer of 2010 that he and a friend launched a food truck called Mexico, sort of a fusion Southern American barbecue with Mexican. And now it's full service restaurant, bourbon, tequila, tacos. He's a full on content creation machine and he drops a lot of gems in this. And I got to tell you, when I think, when I'm thinking of operators to measure like who they are against somebody, I measure them against Thomas because he has, you know, I've known him professionally. I've got to know him somewhat on a personal level. And I got to tell you, he encompasses a lot of the spirit and the energy and the heart of the independent restaurant tour. So a lot of takeaways here. I hope you guys enjoy. All right, guys. Thanks for checking in with the National Restaurant Owners Podcast again. I am joined today by Thomas Kelly from Mexico. Thomas, what's up, buddy? How you doing, Kyle? Good to be here. So for those of you who don't know about Mexico, why don't you give a little a little rundown on the concept? Sure. So uh, Mexico actually uh, last year, not not quite the way we expected to, celebrated our 10th anniversary. Oh, wow. Um, so 10 years ago, we started the concept as a food truck in New York City. And, you know, kind of long evolution, somewhat short, we're today um, sadly no longer have the food truck, although considering bringing it back sometime soon. We thought about it last year. Not great timing for that. <laughs> um, or I don't know, maybe arguably good timing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and today we have um, the concept has evolved into a full service restaurant sort of a contemporary Mexican with a, you know, Southern barbecue influence. And we have five locations, three in the city, in New York city, one in DC and one in Stanford, Connecticut. Very cool. Now what's the status? Are all stores open and operating now? Are you guys uh, on pause with any? Uh, we are on pause with a couple. We're on pause with our Chelsea location in, in Manhattan. And we're on pause with our, Midtown location on 40th between Broadway and 6th, although we're planning on opening that up probably in mid-March. Cool. And the others, the D.C. is open. Stanford is open. Stanford is open. Connecticut is open, right? They're, they've been doing a decent job of what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, before we get into that, so how – I mean, I looked – you know, you and I have known each other. I've looked into your background. How did you decide to make the jump into a food truck? Well – Let's see. I was prior to starting Mexico, I was working in online marketing for a local media company and working in restaurants at night. And sort of in that experience, I realized I was working in fine dining restaurants. And that was um, incredibly valuable from a culinary perspective, of course, and did that for years, kind of after my day job, went in and worked at, at nights, uh, basically staging in, in restaurants and learned a lot about about restaurant operations and about food, of course, um, 
kind of my takeaway was that I definitely wanted to be like making a career shift into food. It was something I was always passionate about and dipping my toes um, during those experiences kind of solidified that that's what I wanted to be doing, not only in my personal life, but also my professional life. But I also realized that fine dining was not the kind of like lifestyle or business model that I wanted to, to, to have. Mm-hmm. And so then took a step back and um, actually went back to school at NYU and started thinking about other potential models. And it was at that time when a friend came to me and, um, and suggested we start a food truck. And so it's kind of good timing and um and that's that was the origin so what year was that the, the first food truck. so that was kind of that was right around the peak or the beginning of the real food truck kind of scene yeah here? yeah i mean as you know the, the way these things go it was sort of like maybe a little bit of strategic foresight and a uh-huh. lot of luck because that summer when we were out there on the streets of new york it was that was the first summer where you saw like a lot of these branded food trucks with you know, really interesting food and thinking about sourcing and branding and, you know, a little bit more, you know, unusual food types and fusion foods and that kind of thing. So that summer was the big summer. So press was all over it. Social media was a big component. It was kind of, you know, somewhat strategic, but mostly luck. But I mean, I mean, that's definitely strategy. I mean, you had gone to school, you had done a little research and that was, that was the, that was the the go-to idea based on all the information you had received. You had, what was like, as opposed to just going open up a brick and mortar, what was it that you learned that was like, you know what, I think food trucks are the way to go here. Well, um, I mean, part of it was just financial constraints, you know, it was, yeah. it was um, at the time, you know, we didn't have, I mean, you know, better than anyone, how much it costs to start a restaurant and, you know, whether it's a million up or at the very least hundreds of thousands of dollars, like, you know, we just didn't have that kind of capital. Um, But we also saw this as like, you know, this potentially emerging trend um, from a cultural perspective and from a, you know, culinary perspective and thought it would be, you know, an, an interesting way to kind of test the viability of the concept, sort of establish proof of concept before we invested hundreds of thousands or, you know, a million dollars into building yeah. a mortar restaurant. Smart. And then we also thought it would be an interesting way to sort of, if that was the step we were going to take, which we thought it probably was brick and mortar, it would be an interesting way to sort of learn a little bit about different trade areas in the markets. And so this is, you know, kind of stepping into very much, you know, your territory, but yeah, we, you know, we thought, well, this would be a really cool way to sort of test out, you know, the the reception of this this concept of Mexico in different trade areas, which might give us some insight into an initial brick and mortar location. For sure. I mean, that's I mean, that's an interesting thought now. Like, I wonder, I mean, do you think food trucks now are going to have like enough? I mean, they've been around, but I feel like there's been like a little dip in their popularity. Oh, yeah, sure. Do you think they're going to be like this? resurgence of it based on what's happened here i mean i like based on the the fact that people aren't dining out they are kind of not supposed to be you know getting together in their homes do you think this is going to be like an opportunity for operators to kind of revisit that idea i think there's there's definitely a possibility that it will um there's also another layer on top of this which i'm sure you'll want to talk about which is like off premise Mm. right and so once you layer on off premise and the sort of technology and marketing layer on top of that yeah if, if you combine that with food trucks you know it's a potentially a really economical way to you know expand your reach 
Yeah. And not I mean, just having people walk up to the truck as we did. Um, and we started to do a little bit of off-premise from the truck. But if you think about not only having, you know, the ability to have people come up to the truck and order tacos and sliders, but also be able to like layer on top of the technology that allows people to order from nearby and yeah. partner with either do it yourself or partner with third party, you know, logistics companies yep. to deliver the food. You know, there's a potential for amplifying quite quite a bit, quite a bit of amplification of of you know, your off-premise business. Yeah, I know. I saw that with, so Walter's up here in Westchester. Yeah. They, these guys, like the the grand the grandkids have taken over the operation and they've added food trucks. And, you know, I think so many people saw what they did and were like, well, Walter's can do it. They, well, we can just get these trucks up and running. They're so, like, I just went there a couple times to like see how they did it. And then there were like hot dogs, fries, sodas, shakes, like pretty much, you know, pretty simple cuisine. There is so much that goes on into getting that truck ready, yeah. getting it this, this, like scheduling and part and like all of that kind of stuff. People think it's easy. It's not easy. Oh no, no. I mean, it was it was not at all easy. I mean, honestly, once we got into the brick and mortar game, you know, we were sort of relieved it, from an operation <laughs> standpoint. It, it it was easier because you've just yeah. got so many moving parts. I mean, you've got all the complication of like running a kitchen and you know a restaurant, but then an added layer of logistics and getting the truck around and parking and i mean just it's it's there are a lot of moving parts it was very we found that it was you know very difficult to make to make money because of how complicated the operation was really that's interesting because so many people think that it's the go-to to make money because you don't have the overhead no, but yeah it's the opposite as a whole it's, separate it's, it's, show it's, no it's it's not only is it it's more complicated arguably from an operation standpoint and it's also you know it's a lot more expensive to run those things than most people understand there you go. That answers that question. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, people are just like, well, I'm just going to start a food truck. But I mean, the thing that stuck out to me, and, and we don't have to dwell on this, but like the fact was, where are you going to take it at the end of the night? Like, where are you going to clean it? Where are you yeah. going to store your propane? Where are you going to do all that kind of stuff? People think it's easy. And the two most successful ones that I've seen, they have uh, a spot to take their truck back to, clean it out, swap the propane out, hose it down, and get it ready to go for another day. But if you have to go back and forth from a parking lot and all that stuff, that is a uh, Nightmare. Yeah. Totally. So, so that's 2010. And how long did you do that for? Well, we opened our first brick and mortar about a year later. Oh, there you go. And then wow. we actually did build a second truck about a year later as well. Um, and that was when, you know, that trend was still sort of on the upswing. So we opened up our first little brick and mortar. It was a to-go restaurant. Today, you know, we're full service with a, with a bar element. Mm -hmm. First brick and mortar was just a tiny little 450 square foot space, which was grab and go on 7th Avenue between 29th and 30th. And we opened up a second truck, we built a second truck and we started doing a ton of pop-ups around the city at that time as well. So we and that was what going on. Yeah. With that, with the intent of scouting new locations, was that sort of the plan uh, was I testing these the new time, neighborhoods? We just didn't understand mm -hmm. the struggles of the, the model really. You know, and it was also, yeah. there was also a lot of like, I mean, the, there were, you know, a number of, of moving parts at that time. I mean, the, the city went from kind of like under, under regulating the truck industry to then over regulating the truck industry. So you had that happening and then you had like a ton of increased competition Yeah, you know, because between 2010 and 2009, I mean, you just had, you know, so many more trucks out there on the streets. And so, 
and you know, and the trend already was, I mean, you know how these things go and especially in New York, it's like, you know, one year it was hot and next year it was like, you know, people were like onto the next thing, whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, between all those factors, it just became a lot more challenging, a much more challenging environment. Um, yeah. So we were, so it wasn't necessarily with the intention of scouting new locations. That was also like a nice idea in theory, but it's not, you know, once we realized the constraints of, of having the food truck out there, yeah, you know, it was not like as easy as taking the food truck to a different location every day and finding the optimal spot for brick and mortar. Right. Interesting. I mean, that, that's a, uh, there's so many logistical pieces going on there. It's making my, I have like a million questions, but I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on any one thing. So, so now you have the one place, you have the two trucks going on and what, what is life like? What is that? Whole, I mean, you, you just touched on it there, but what is, like, how are you going to, like, in your mind, are you thinking about, we're going to go all brick and mortar, or we're going to expand? Like, how, how, where, where was your thought process at this time in terms of Mexico and the brand building? Well, we were, I mean, quite frankly, we just had too much going on. Um, <laughs> tacos we flying that, everywhere. What's that? Tacos flying everywhere. Tacos flying everywhere, exactly. <laughs> um, and I think we were, you know, we were trying to figure out that model. We, yeah. you know, we had pop-up restaurants. And I think one of the things that we were struggling with at the time, and we were, we were doing things that were actually really good from a branding and marketing perspective, right? Like we were really yeah. successful in like building really good brand awareness early on. Um, and, and that was the focus, but we hadn't figured out like what the, like what the model was that would actually lead to like, that would be sustainable and, and over the long term and something we could actually scale. Huh. And so, um, you know, we, it just took some time in kind of figuring that out. And, and then over time we realized that the trucks, it was, you know, while it was really good for raising brand awareness, it was really hard to make money. Yeah. Same would be said of the pop-up market. So those, those things were actually like, could be a little bit more profitable. Um, we had a large catering business that, that was profitable and we've kind of continued to invest in growing that. Um, and we realized that, you know, having a solid brick and mortar where you can count on sales every single day and not have to deal with the headaches of a food truck mm -hmm. was probably the, you know, the, the long-term model. And so we did over time, over the course of like the first three, four years, sort of slowly shift our focus onto brick and mortar. So that was like what, 2015 or so, 2016, when yeah, you yeah, really made that transition? In 2000, even 2012, 13, we started to eye this model of, you know, a, a, a incorporating a bar element with full service, a quick, mm -hmm. casual, full service restaurant with kind of the same core menu um, and kind of evolved. And it started the process of building the first iteration of that model. Interesting. I mean, I've, I, I've always paid attention to, to your concept because um, it was, to me, it, it stood out. Like I, we went there, um, with actually an investor from the restaurant that I was involved with, like, you got to check these guys out. And we went there awesome. and it was such a tight operation. It was like, I think it was in Midtown. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah. And we had gone uh, there and the place was like cranking. And it was interesting to go there to see how much food and the volume you guys were doing. Cause at the time, you know, we're in Westchester and we have like 4,000 square feet and we're complaining that the kitchen's too tight. Yeah. And the guy we brought there was like, Oh, look at this. You think that's well, that too tight? I mean, that was, dude, that was one of the silver linings of, of the food truck experiment. Um, 
was that we, you know, we just learned how to operate in a very small space. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, and what we, you know, we did have, we, you know, some restraint when we moved into a brick and mortar and it was a small, I mean, you know, felt large at the time compared to the food truck, but it was a 1200 <laughs> square, foot, square foot space with a small yeah. New York city kitchen. So we, um, but we did exercise some constraint in not, you know, going too crazy with the menu or equipment and sort of kept the same core kitchen layout, except we created double-sided lines so that we had more throughput. Mm -hmm. But everything else was pretty much the same as we had on the food truck. I mean, that and makes still sense. still is to this yeah. day. I mean, we've kind of expanded a little bit, but the core of the, you know, the equipment is basically the same. I mean, I definitely taught you like efficiency practices and like how to work in a confined space and like, yeah, make the most out of it, which is key when it when it comes to, to looking at your site selection, which I know, I, you know, you and I have been on tours before. And I, and I tell you, one thing I always think about when I see somebody, when I'm with somebody else, when I tour a space is how prepared you came to the meeting and you are how like you had your laptop, you were set, you knew what the numbers were. There was no like handing you a flyer to look at it. I mean, we can, we can. I'd like to get into that because that's that's a mindset that I don't know that every operator thinks about. I mean, how did you how do you transition your I always talk about transitioning yourself from a restaurant owner to a restaurant entrepreneur, meaning like you're an owner it, to me is like chained to the stove, making tacos, cranking it out, can't seem to get away. The entrepreneur has pulled themselves out and has a higher level. Like, how did you get there? Totally. I mean, honestly. I had the luxury from very early on of having like really good operating partners. And that I've always said is like, you know, going to set the successful restaurants apart is not mm -hmm. the stuff that, that I'm doing mostly, which is, you know, some of the entrepreneur stuff and thinking about growth and real estate and then also food and branding, which are kind of my passions in this. Mm -hmm. um, the stuff that like really sets apart the folks that are successful is the nuts and bolts every day. Yep. And one of the things, you know, I understood early on is not that was not like my area of interest and and my strength. And so I was just really fortunate from very, very early on to have a series of really good operators that just, you know, loved that and made the, the restaurant successful every day. And so that's kind of freed me up from a, from again, from kind of an early stage to focus on the stuff that I enjoy doing, um, like branding and, you know, menu That's, development and, in you know, and, uh, some of the fun entrepreneurial growth strategies. So did you always see yourself wanting to like sort of migrate to that role? Yeah. Yeah. You never uh, wanted to be, I don't want to be doing this food truck my whole life. Let me well, see. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, even in the food truck days though, even in the food truck days, it was like, you know, and there are, there are costs to that. Um, yeah. But even in the food truck days, it was like, you know, we had just people that were really good operators. And, and some people, it's just, you know, I think, you know, I, I think, um, I mean, some people just gravitate towards that stuff. Some people love the sort of nuts and bolts yeah. of just executing every day. Those people who like love, you know, are just detail oriented and love the like the rhythm of operating a, you know, a well-oiled machine of a restaurant every day or food truck in those days. Yeah. So even in those early days, you know, we had people like Adam Johnson, who, you know, mm -hmm. help step in and create those systems and that flow and allowed, you know, me to focus on other stuff. That's major. That, 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 I mean, that's 
I mean, you say fortunate, but I mean, they were, I mean, strategic hires. Were you looking for them at that time? Like, did you know what oh, pieces yeah, you sure. needed for you to pull out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's sometimes a lot of these guys, I was talking to somebody yesterday in terms of branding, you know, Michael Janda, have you ever seen, heard of him? He's no. like a, you check him out, but he he's had like a big branding agency sold it years back. And he was like, you know, there's a difference between, you know, the guy who he uses pies, like in his analogy, who makes the pies. And then the guy who actually says we can make these pies better and yeah. more effectively. And I think that making that jump is that's a defining factor, I think, from somebody. 100%. Yeah, it's a major thing. And I don't know. I don't people like, well, how do you I don't know how you how you know it or how you do it. I don't know if it's innate or you absorb it from a mentor or something like what, what was, was there an outside? I mean, it's a total, you're right. It's just a totally different skill set. And for me, it was sort of, um, I mean, there were definitely some, you know, outside influences and mentors that, you know, that helped in, in that sort of thinking. Um, but it, part of it was also that I didn't come from like a, I came from like having a passion about food and, you know, in marketing and branding with a little bit of experience in restaurant operations. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going to school at Stern, you know, studying, you know, getting an MBA. So I was learning about that stuff as well, but I just didn't come from like a restaurant operations yeah. background. And that definitely, you know, made it harder in, in a lot of respects, right? In some yep. ways it would have been easier for me to just, you know, be forced to be in that role from day one and would have made a lot of things easier, I'm sure. But one of the sort of, again, silver linings was that, you know, I, I did have to find partners that were a lot better at that because I just didn't come from a restaurant background. Right. That's that's a, that's a key thing. I mean, I, I was similar. I mean, I was working in advertising out of college. And then, you know, I after 9-11 was when I got involved with with the culinary school and that whole vibe. Oh, but is that I, right? Yeah, yeah I, I was working on a, on a desk at Morgan Stanley and I was like, uh, I went in one day and just was like, I, I, I walked out, took my headset off and I walked out, didn't say anything to anybody. Really? I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm not doing this. And my father wanted to kill me. And I, I took a job working for like eight bucks an hour in Hoboken, New Jersey, and went, went awesome. to the French Culinary Institute. So that was that's my story. That's so awesome, I can relate man. a little Some bit. Similarities, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's knowing what you don't know, and I think letting go of your ego a little bit, which I know chefs, <laughs> chefs, people who come up through that rank, known for a little bit. So, um, I, it's always a defining factor in in these like perceptions of people and why, how I think they're going to be successful. So um, I've definitely picked up on that with you a while ago. Um, so, you know, we're in a weird spot now, right? Like New York city is, is opening on Valentine's day for 25% occupancy. Where, where does Mexico stand on that? Are you guys ready to open? Are you going to hold out? We are. Yeah. We're ready to open. I mean, it's such a loaded, complicated, you know, topic yeah. and question here, but, um, but, you know, we, we are planning on opening when we're allowed to do so. Um, you know, I feel good about that because again, you know, one of the, the benefits of having partners who are extremely good operators is that, you know, they create, they've been able to create, and I'm helping with this of course too, but really safe environments, or I'd say, you know, relatively safe environments in this, in this environment in the, in this COVID, you know, environment. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think we were, you know, we are going to open, but we've just, we've already got in place a lot of systems. And part of that is just, we've all been in this for, you know, coming up in a year now. Yeah. Um, you know, we feel confident that we'll be able to open the doors and, and create a safe environment for people. Well, I remember when this kind of all went down 
you were the first person that I saw actually turn the camera towards you and were like, look, here's the deal. Here's what's going on. I mean, I don't remember seeing any of that type of content from you guys before. I thought that was a fantastic move by you guys and you put yourself right out in front and it led me. I mean, I already knew you, but like from a social perspective, I was tuned in. Like I wanted to see what you were doing because I have, you know, respect for you as an operator. And I was like, what's he doing? Like, that's going to be a good barometer for me. So how did you, you know, not too many people are comfortable doing this. How'd you make no, that? Trust me, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're a natural man. You're super, super, super casual and not like even tempered on. I think it's great. Well, that was, um, that was part of a, um, kind of a, a, a process we've been going through to sort of look at our digital strategy as a whole. And we were lucky to have, um, a really great agency we were working with called, called village, um, who's incredible. And we were working with them at the time. And one of their theories was that just people are bored of following brands yep. on, you know, social media and that they want to talk to the people and, um, you know, quite frankly, not to give, you know, the, to repay the compliments so quickly. But I mean, yeah, you were, you've done such, I mean, you've been doing that for a lot longer than I have. Mm. And um, so you've clearly figured that out. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, we're still learning a lot. It's been a, again, coming up on a year of, of, you know, the timing was good because we were, we had sort of been working on this digital strategy mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and it planned on, on sort of, you know, sort of, actually executing on a lot of the strategy that we were thinking about, you know, right at that time in March. So the timing was, was good in that respect. And I think, um, yeah, it was good timing and that people, it was an important time to be transparent and to, yeah. you know, for brands to have someone talking, a, a person talking about what they were doing um, and making it feel comfortable and trustworthy. Yeah. I mean, it was a time where, you know, and it still is right where people, somebody had said to me, People are going to not going to go to, it's not going to be like, we're going to go out to sushi, tacos, or pizza tonight. Where do you want to go, honey? We're going to go to the place that makes us feel the most safe. Yeah. And with everybody stuck at home, it was such a tremendous opportunity. I didn't see as many people doing what you did, which was that behind the scenes, like, here's what's happening. Yeah. Here's why. And it was very like calm and it was like very like well thought out and well stated of, of how you're keeping safe. And if you weren't going to be open, like, hey, we're not going to be open. I thought it was fantastic. I appreciate that. And you know what? What's interesting, I was talking to another group uh, who you know, um, yeah. and they've had some success with with their social media doing not so much out in front of the camera, but I thought it was interesting that they're like, it actually, and they brought this up, like it's part of our plan to grow because if we can get content out there that really sticks, we can be known in Dallas, in Miami, in Nashville before we hit the ground. And I, they thought it was like a good calling card for them. And it's so much so that they're like, we're going to be, we're going to go national right from the jump because that's, that's our play. That's really that's interesting. I mean, I was very much looking forward to having this conversation with you because you have been such a leader in, 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 uh, you know, in different uh, social um, channels. I think it's been a great year of, of taking that step and doing it, you know, getting more comfortable with it. Um, there's definitely some value we've seen in, you know, a, an effective way of, of telling our story. And, you know, we're finding that, you know, we're, we are growing that sort of like top of funnel awareness. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's very time consuming as you know, better than anyone else. Right. So, and that's been one of the lessons is we've definitely poured a lot of, you know, energy and time and and money in some ways into content creation. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I'm hoping to get a grasp on this year that I'd love to hear your thoughts on are like, how do you think about ROI from a, from a social perspective? Uh, for me, for, for my job, I am, you know, trying to get in touch with guys like you, right? Like that's my goal. And my overarching belief is that if I can communicate through through this, whether it's a podcast, whether it's Instagram post or whatever it is, I, I don't think that there's an, a better medium to talk about my experience, you know, sure. how I can add value. So to me, it's my, I budget, you know, hour and a half, two hours a day to it because it's my marketing. And, and I think I lead with being a marketer first sure. and then I do everything second. But in terms of actual ROI, um, you know, I think it's the ROI of doing it is a lot higher than not. And I think that where people have a problem figuring out if they can do it is they're kind of trying to squeeze it in the course of their normal day. Yeah. And there are a lot of different strategies I'm happy to share with you, but like a, a, a one a strategy that I'm really, um, I, I'm really fond of is the documenting over creating. So like having somebody like, hey, once a week, I could be somebody who works for you or somebody you hire like on a freelance deal or your daughter, anybody to, to yeah. kind of do this is on you know Thursdays from eleven to one. You're just going to kind of follow me around. Yeah, you know we're going to talk, and then things are going to come up, and you're going to do it. And then taking that big my, uh, macro piece of content and chopping it up into little pieces that can be used all over the place. Totally. Because if, you, if you're trying to create like every day, it can be really time consuming. Yeah. So yeah. Um, no, I completely that, agree. And then you'll find like your like your rest like for example like your you do those great cocktail recipes which I screenshot every single time and I'm like that that can be made into a printable post like a blog post there's you know a lot of different things that can be pulled out of that so um what is yeah the, I know this is you know your interview not mine but I, I was no I'm really looking forward to, to chatting about this with you what are the um um because thinking about ROI can be a little bit almost overwhelming and, and difficult to completely piece together. What are the metrics that are super important to you when you think about social? Engagement. Engagement. Sorry. Yeah. Am I getting a response from people? Like, I don't want to be screaming into the hallway. Yeah. Um, but I, I had this exact conversation yesterday because I don't do a good job of tracking metrics. I, I have a gut feeling on what's engaging and when, what might be thought provoking. Um, I'm a little bit of a, a disruptor in the commercial real estate business because nobody's doing what I do. And they're like, don't, you know, don't tell everybody how to calculate rent per square foot. Oh, I think it's great. I, love <laughs> it. I think it's so and, smart. And right. And it's like, then I run into a guy like you. And then if I'm being cagey, you're going to be like, what, what's up with this guy? Yeah. Like, just tell me. How, yeah. So that's where, where I'm coming from. But in terms of metrics, like this guy who I spoke to yesterday, Michael Janda was like, you need to track where your most engagement is coming from. So like in your example, if you're doing the cocktail recipes and you're like, holy shit, 500 people checked into this. They must really like it. Yeah. Um, and you're doing something else and it's like, and eh, not so much. He's like, literally make a spreadsheet and be like, yeah. Mezcal, Negroni video, 500 views. And yeah. then just like go head first into that. Just keep going. So um metrics is 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 major there are like a lot of sites that help you with that but um i think 
you know, just keep going and then follow it. Like at the end of the month, I'll look at it and say, okay, I got to go heavier into that. And then do you try and track it down to like conversions? I mean, at least at the restaurant or, you know, but even in your real estate business, do you, do you actually try and track it down sort of down the funnel into an actual conversion and, you know, a client or a sale or whatever else? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going so this year going so heavy into that world, like yeah. restaurants and personal branding are all looking at outs like businesses outside of what we're, we're familiar with, like sure. traditional sales funnel type stuff. And I, I wanted to, I spoke with, with our, with our CEO. I'm like, you know, I pay for marketing out of my, out of my commissions. Right. Yep. How, can, can we come up with a new system? Cause what I think is I can generate inbound leads through content, mm -hmm. right? Like so if I can funnel them through here and I can find like, Hey, Thomas Kelly came through the website. Uh, these guys came through Instagram. And then that's something I'm, I really have to get into now, but it's really such a 180 in terms of what everybody's doing. Everyone's like, well, wait, 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 like, oh, <laughs> you know, how's it going to look? But it's really how, you know, Banana Republic does their stuff. And it's just kind of applying the same thought process. Yeah. I mean, a convert, there's a lot on conversions for, I mean, you. I think you can track conversions on like Instagram if you guys have shopping for the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, we do. We track um, we, we track some sort of level of engagement and conversions on Instagram, although what we use that's a little bit more, I think, detailed is Google Analytics. Yeah. Google Analytics, if it's set up and tracking properly, you can, you can sort of see, you know, the whole funnel process and and conversions but i guess the you know if i was purely going on based on google convert or google analytics and the conversions i'd probably throw in the towel yeah <laughs> yeah yeah know that it totally and that's why i was you know just drilling in a little bit i'm not sure that it completely captures you know the the, the value i i but, can tell like i think for me that thing is something that should stick around for, for restaurants and, and dive into because when you do those recipes, you did like a mezcal tasting that I was like, I had to go somewhere else. And I'm like, like I like whine to my wife, like I'm supposed to check out this mezcal tasting. And she's like, what? Like, what, what are you talking about? That's but awesome. that stuff. And then like, you know, um, a couple groups were doing like, hey, we're going to be making our famous whatever dish on Friday. Buy this yeah. like on Wednesday, like here, buy this stuff. And then Friday at six, tune in i thought that was genius you know yeah, that's, yeah. that's smart. a great move very smart but i love your behind the scenes stuff you guys had like a i sound like a fanboy here but like that like the, the chili pepper thing that you did i mean that's a great training thing and it was a great video that's awesome so i'm a big fan of that actually so much so that i'm part of our i'm giving away all my secrets here but part of my my planning for marketing this year is i don't want to do a flyer i don't want to do a flyer for the tenants i represent it's I never look at one of them and yep. I just go by myself. I could care. Okay. I don't know them and yep. I don't care. Maybe yep. that's bad or maybe it's good. Yeah. I want to do a video. I want to do like a oh, two yeah. minute hype video. I send that to a landlord and say, this is who I want to see. We're looking for 1500 square feet. What do you got? And I'm, I just think it's more engaging. Yeah. Oh, completely agree. Completely so, agree. Um, but one thing I also want to talk to you about is, you know, is this native delivery concept. So you came, well, I, I forget how I even got there. Oh, Elizabeth Tilton from Oyster Sunday recommended Scott and Scott said he was working with Mexico. And then I called you like, what's up yep. with these guys? Yep. Yep. So you guys converted to 100% native or you're still doing some third party? Well, we converted to hundred percent native for a while. So, um, 
late 2019, we dropped all third-party marketplace. Um, that was during a process of, of kind of going through a rebranding process or a brand evolution process alongside rethinking our whole off-premise business, redesigning our whole off-premise business. And, you know, we, we realized we ideally we wanted to be relying primarily, if not entirely, on, on our native channel at Mexique.com. Um, so leading up to the kind of relaunch, which was planned for March, surprisingly, um, March of last year, yeah. uh, March 18th, we, um, we dropped all third party, um, launched this native process along with a whole digital advertising effort, yep. including social, um, and uh, spent several months building that. Um, obviously, you know, somewhat good timing given, given the circumstances, um, late last year. And this was, this was something we, we thought we probably would want to do. We flipped back on the, the third party marketplace channels Mm -hmm. and, you know, alongside kind of a, an effort to, to hopefully introduce them to the brand and listen, if they're, you know, they love seamless web and that's what they use to order all of their food. So be it. Yep. Um, our hope was that we'd introduce them to, to the brand and try and work on developing a you know deeper direct relationship with them so that they were ordering through Mexique.com. Yeah, I mean, I remember you telling me when I kind of was picking your brain about it, it was like it's really a marketing thing. I remember you saying like it's really you got to get this marketing done. Oh, and yeah, hundred percent. It's customer yeah. acquisition. Uh, yep, that's exactly the word you used. Yeah, it's you're in the customer acquisition game, and you know I hope a lot of people who listen to this show realize that. You know, if you're with these third party groups, you're not getting any of that information. You have no way of doing the marketing that they are planning to do uh, for their concepts. Uh, and that's not the way these sales funnels work, that these sales, you know, any kind of sales work. Right. Like you'd like totally. to know that I come in every Wednesday or order every Wednesday and and going native allows you to do that, which is huge. Um, I don't want to keep you too long. because I know you're super busy, but in, in regards to that, that stuff. Have you guys seen much success in the remarketing on that? Have you dove into any analytics on that stuff? You know, we just started it and we're seeing positive signs for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Um, but we just started, we, you know, just earlier this year, we sort of flipped on those, um, a couple of those third party marketplaces. And so I'm, I mean, to be honest, so it's so new um, that I don't have a lot of like detailed analytics. Mm -hmm. That's an area where we will have to get that. I mean, I think- yeah. It's just so critical. And that was part of the reason I was, you know, anxious to talk to you about social and, and analytics is, I mean, you just sort of need to understand the, the way all this piping works and the analytics of it. Um, and so it's early to tell, but that's something we'll definitely be looking at very carefully. Yeah. Cause you know, like it's interesting where we're at with these things. And I just saw, I don't know if you saw the news that Uber acquired Drizzly. I now? saw that on your on on your <laughs> yeah on your Instagram this morning. I had it on CNBC and it came up, and I was kind of like had mixed feelings about it. I mean, it's smart, but um, it's interesting to think that they must be thinking that they're going to be able to deliver cocktails through this company. It's the only way they're going to do it, or it's going away. I'm curious yeah. what the thought process was there. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be fascinating to see. I mean, it's such an. I mean, the landscape is changing so quickly. Yeah, it's um. You know, I definitely think in regards to that, to, to go back to that sales funnel stuff is 
the more you're in front of people with who you are and what you do, and and obviously you have to be good at it. Um, I think you're just it's the way people subconsciously are gonna think of you when they're hungry or want a margarita or I dude, I I swear, and and this is uh, when when I think of if I'm going to the liquor store and I'm like looking for mezcal, I'm like scrolling back trying to find like a screenshot of one of the things you have. Like, What's the name of that one? That's I mean, so much so that I that I sent you that picture of that one when I was upstate. Yeah, yeah. And to get your feedback, you're like, I have it. I'm like, all right, let's go get it, get that one. That's so, awesome. yeah, yeah. That's so, awesome. I think that's the way it works. Yeah, I think that's it the way is. it works for a lot of people. So, I'm all in on that for sure. Um, all right, so having having gone through, I'm trying to think, man, I have so many questions for you because I, I think it's you have so much uh knowledge and you've done it all by doing that. It's um, it's invaluable to, to people who may be listening to this, but um, I guess you know, one thing I would say is, have you when you were taking Mexico from one brick and mortar to another, I realize we're kind of jumping all over the place, sure, but all good. when, when you did that, how did you, what was there one thing that you saw or were you just like, fuck it, let's go for it. We can do it. We have the infrastructure or were you more like tactical about it? Um, we, I mean, we were just very, very eager to grow the brand from day one. Hmm. And so I think there was just that inherent, you know, eagerness or ambition. Mm -hmm. And we just basically clawed our way from like day one of the truck to like, what's the next step? What do we need to do? And part of it was, you know, an excitement and eagerness to, to grow for better or worse. Cause it's not always good. Mm -hmm. um, and part of it was also like, you know, there was sort of financial pressure because we had kind of created a, almost a hub and spoke model with like a corporate, you know, with like a little corporate team because of a desire to grow and, um, and not have everyone who's involved in Mexico be, you know, as we talked about earlier, you know, in the truck, cooking the food, serving the food, doing the things. So for better or worse from day one, we sort of had this sort of corporate infrastructure, which created a financial pressure to grow as well. Mm -hmm. um, but more than that, you know, we were just excited about, I mean, I love the, you know, I love the nuts and bolts of like running an individual restaurant. And, um, but we were also really just excited about the, the idea of having, you know, a, a brand that we could, that we could grow beyond an individual restaurant or food truck. And would you have looking back on that experience, what would be the top, let's say the top two things you would have done differently? Well, we grew too fast for sure. And so I think, you know, I think a lot of people have that, that mindset, yeah. you know, unfortunately of just feeling like they need to like, you know, having one really incredible standalone restaurant is not enough when it a hundred percent can be not only yeah. from a fulfillment perspective, but also from a financial perspective. For sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, and I think, so I think we, you know, we probably just grew too quickly. Um, and sort of related to that, we just didn't, because we grew too quickly, we were sort of doing too many different things at one time. Mm -hmm. We didn't focus on getting really good at just, you know, one thing or one or two things. We just sort of, you know, we were a little bit too, um, too scattered in, in the different versions of models of Mexico that were out there in the world. And then you just, rain it all in like just 
ride it out or what? Like, well, did you make yeah, a strategic yeah. we, move? So we just went through this process over the course of probably like, you know, by the time we, you know, we talked about the early stages in 2011, we opened up the first brick, first brick and mortar. 2012, the, the second brick and mortar, which was the first version of what we are today, which is a full service restaurant with this mezcal and, you know, and uh, tequila <laughs> bar. Um, and then by the time we had the third one open on Fifth Avenue between 26th and 27th, it was painfully clear that we had too much going on. And at yeah. that point, so that was like 2000, late 13 or 14. Um, so four years in, call it, we started to like, it, it also became clear that that was really working as well. So that was, yeah. it was like, okay, well, you know, we tried all these things and this is like, you know, we feel good about this from a concept perspective from a menu perspective, from an experience perspective, and financially, okay, well, actually, we like what we're seeing on a financial statement for the first time. And so at that point, we kind of started trimming some of the other things and sort of winding down the food trucks, winding down you know, the, the pop-up markets. We ultimately closed the grab-and-go restaurant um, and just tried to spend some time focusing on getting even better at the thing that was working, which was a full service restaurant. Yeah, it definitely helps when it's when it's working. That makes yeah. it easy, right? Yeah. I mean totally. I, I remember when we opened up our second location of Pulpatina, it was like you know, everyone says like your second restaurant's really your first restaurant. And I right. really I felt that because I was like trying to now we had like a staff of we had twelve. Well now we have a staff of thirty five. And it was like holy crap. Like just the payroll took longer. Uh, the yeah. ordering for beer. Are you ordering for this one? Or are you ordering for that one? Should we have yeah. the same beers? Yeah. So it was, I, I can feel that vibe. But I know, I, I mean, do you think it's a little bit like they say when you're having a kid, like, well, you're never going to feel like you're ready. Or do you feel like there should be some indicator that you're ready? Um, I mean, I think the reality is you're never going to feel like you're ready. And I think, <laughs> yeah, I think the, yeah, the, the indicators yeah, I, I think it's I think it's the former. I think you just yeah. probably, you know never feel like you're ready. I mean, if you wait for all the stars to be aligned and everything, you just never make it happen. Yeah, you know? I think that's I think right. I agree. Things, there's something, there's something like you just can't. There's something inherent in entrepreneurship, right? Yeah, and taking those risks that comes along with like not fully being ready. If you're fully yeah. ready, you're never doing anything. No, yeah, you're right. That's that's exactly right, and uh, it's tough that you don't learn that. That's something I think is innate as well. Um, last question before we get into our overrated, underrated. Have you has this changed your thought process on site selection for Mexico going forward, or are you kind of back on where you were beginning uh, or a year ago? You mean the COVID environment? Yeah, I mean the whole dynamic uh, of yeah, the, the how has COVID changed anything about your your site? You know, no, when you're looking has, at perspectives? absolutely. I mean, we're. Um, we are focusing on um, sites that have outdoor space right. to sort of mitigate that risk a bit. And we're focusing on sites. We were sort of moving in a direction of, you know, um, of tightening up on, on square, on, on the footprint mm -hmm. and going smaller and smaller. And now we're thinking, you know, maybe, you know, we want to sort of inch in the other direction a little bit. Yeah, um, and so finding spaces that are a little bit larger, you know, in case God forbid we're, you know, we find ourselves in, you know, facing another version of COVID, and um, and we need more space for social distancing purposes. That's 
that's a great perspective. You know, I don't think anybody's I've heard that yet is like we're actually looking a little bigger in case we gotta go six feet apart again or try to like do the algebra on six feet apart and fifty percent occupancy. It's like right. Exactly. I, I always think of that meme of the woman with like the, the, the vision signs and the square roots going around yeah. her head. Like, are we like, well, how do we do that? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's totally wild. All right. So I have a little section here that, that is called um, overrated, underrated. You can give short, short form answers, you know, one sentence max. But if you really feel like you got to dive in, we can do that too. So cool. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start here with something that's kind of an on trend food uh, for, uh, for some reason during the pandemic, birria tacos, overrated, underrated, underrated for sure. Underrated. I mean, it's, okay. you know, oh, for sure. I mean, it's just, I mean, I think it's obviously a trend that's, you know, flaring up on, on social or whatever, but, um, I think, I mean, they are an incredible, you know, culinary invention and it's underrated. For underrated. Sure. I agree with you. Okay. Classe Azul. Overrated, underrated, overrated, overrated. You know what? It's all marketing and bottles, right? That's what I think it is. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it tastes good, but it's really not. I've, I've been there enough times to now I'm like, oh, I experienced that. It's not really my cup of tea. Yep. Um, chilaquiles. I mean, in my book, underrated for sure. I love chilaquiles. I love chilaquiles. <laughs> Me too. I think, I think most people have just had really bad versions. Agreed. And, I, and you know, it's with our little, nachos. how can you not yeah. breakfast nachos? <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, what I learned too was, you know, at our little taqueria, the kid, the guy was like, no, you got to use thicker tortillas and they yeah. can hold the sauce a little bit better. I, more sauce. Oh my God. That was like that plate of slop that I've had previously was not chili killers. So yeah. I agree with you that, um, native delivery overrated, underrated. I mean, underrated for sure. <laughs> those are easy ones i usually put in there like you know something more controversial but i chose yeah. to keep it mexican on this one um thomas man it was good to talk to you i really feel like i could talk to you again at some point i have so many questions of that i think you're really like i said a wealth of information for for when i think of an operator who has their act together and is, has that whole restaurant entrepreneur mindset i think of you so thank you for taking the time to be on the show i appreciate that so much kyle it was great to be here and i feel the same way about you so hopefully we continue the conversation yeah, man. Let's talk social sometime. Cool, bud. All Thanks right, man. So take much. care. Bye-bye. That is a wrap. Episode 54 with Thomas Kelly from Mexico. Um, I love that guy. What else can I say? That's it. Comfortable in my own skin, I can say that. Um, anyway, guys, I just want to thank you for continuing to support the show, continuing to send messages, to send guest suggestions, and following us on Instagram. Um, it is a pure passion of mine, this show. It is meant to connect with industry professionals across the country and kind of share that and create a community. So that has been the goal, and we are well on our way. So for that, I thank you. And I just want to ask you one tiny, teeny, tiny, real small little favor. Um, whatever platform you listen on, is it, pod, is it uh, Apple Podcasts, is it Spotify, is it Google Podcasts, whichever one it is, Leave us a rating. Let us know what you think. If you don't like it, we got thick skin. We got thick skin. You know, we, we can, we can, you know, we can work this out. We can figure it out. That's the only way you get better, right? So, um, but if you love the show, please share it. Please let um, some of your other friends in the industry know that we are out here doing this and continue to reach out. 
Give me show ideas. Give me guest ideas. Um, I love to hear from you guys. I love to answer questions. Love to get on calls with you and talk about what's going on in your own business. So uh, never hesitate to reach out. 914-996-4569. DM me on Instagram. And um, yeah, if you want to leave a rating, that would be greatly appreciated. Greatly appreciated. I like five stars. That would be great. But whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, I appreciate it. Um, check us out. We have a, an unbelievable roster of guests coming up in the next six weeks. Um, we are just starting to get a real, real, real constant flow of solid guests who want to be on the show. Um, so I'm excited about that. So give us a follow on Instagram. You'll see what's happening there. And um, check you guys next week for episode 55. Thanks for the support again, guys.